Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Make sure to stick around to the end of this episode to hear a segment from The Athletic Women's Basketball Show, a new podcast diving into everything women's hoops. Hosted by me, Zena Keda, I'll be joined by our national writers, Ben Pickman and Sabrina Merchant, as we dive into the WNBA, college hoops, and even a little international game. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. Here we go. We are back. It has been a while. It's the Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It's Ian Mendes, Sean McIndoo uh, with you. I feel like we haven't done a show together in a month, five weeks, six weeks. I, I feel like it's it's more than that. I don't know. Like, I, I are we allowed to, to say that? I think the last show we did oh, yeah. came right. out we like recorded. a month ago, but we recorded that one. Yeah. Well, well in before. advance. Yeah. yeah. So let's uh, let's get caught up. Trade deadline. What did you think? Yeah, <laughs> let's get caught. Up. Tell me about your. In fact, don't even tell me about your summer. Just uh, open up your phone and share some pictures with me. Tell yeah, me exactly what you, uh, what you did this summer. <laughs> yeah, you what's know, your family? Random, Show me pictures of your kids. Uh, random selection. It just it just be me scrolling through like uh, nine out of nine immaculate grids that yeah. I screen capped. Like yeah. I, I got I got a picture of the family in here somewhere. But, yeah. Uh, Oh boy! Low, u- yeah. low unique um, scores. Yeah. Here we go. So Let's. Who had the over under on Mike Babcock controversy? Who had minus four weeks? Because I think that's uh, yeah, that's what we're that's what we're at. It's got ugly it got, this week. You know, and I, and I should point out that, and we're recording this on Thursday morning. Uh, but I do see that the NHLPA has sent their executive director, Marty Walsh, and Ron Hainsey, who is very high ranking with the, with the PA. They're actually on the ground in Columbus to conduct interviews and, I guess, an investigation into what happened, which to me, that's interesting. Like, I, 
correct me if I'm wrong here. When's the last time you heard of like the NHLPA, like with an actual boots on the ground investigation? It feels like, uh, it feels like to me, like this seems like a significant turn of events that you would actually have the director of the NHLPA and Ron Hainsey come in, right? Like, feels like it. I honestly can't remember something like this where we heard about it, right? Because that, that's the key. It's You never know when some of these things are happening in, in the background. And obviously, there's new leadership at the NHLPA. I think they want to they want to look proactive here. But I, I my read on that is you had the original story break on the Spit and Chicklets podcast. Paul Bissonette comes out and in his very unique way breaks this this story or at least these allegations the the blue jackets put out the statement denying it boone jenner is part of that uh johnny gaudreau i think has has since come out and and also said hey you know same thing happened to me it didn't bother me my read on this is this is the nhlpa wants to get in there and face-to-face talk to people and just make sure you know it's it's one thing to put out the statement that's co-signed by the team and everything um, and I saw a lot of people when that statement came out going, well, you know, Boone Jenner is the one guy we trust here because he's got no reason to, uh, to mislead except that he kind of does. Cause he's the captain of the team. And when it's their PR guys and everyone's around you saying like, Hey, you know, we'd really like your name on this statement saying everything's okay. Yeah. Maybe you get pushed into, into saying that I, I, I just get the feeling Marty Walsh and whoever else want to sit down, Boone Jenner, Johnny Goudreau, whoever it is, and just go like, Hey. You know, blink twice if there's a problem here that we need to know about. And if if not, then that's fine. We'll, uh, you know, we'll we'll let it go because um, this does seem to be it's a weird story, right? Because it, it feels like 90 percent of the details are agreed on. But that little 10 percent of ambiguity seems to make all the difference between hey, this is this is an enormous violation of privacy by a guy versus this is a total non-story that that nobody should even be talking about, let alone being mad about. But that, you know, it's interesting you bring up 10%, you know, kind of ambiguity. Mike Babcock really has 0% to work with here though, right? Like, can we mm-hmm. agree on that? Given given where he's been, given some of the stories, it's not like he's got 5%, 10% leeway. No benefit of the doubt. Lo- no, no benefit of the doubt. Um, and he's earned so, it. That's, that's a lifetime achievement award because yeah. uh, the, clearly... There are a lot of people in the hockey world that are waiting for Mike Babcock to fail. He's made a lot of enemies. Uh, and and I've personally, I've never met the guy. I've never dealt with him, but I've heard stories. Yeah. And I've heard a lot, you know, I, I think from what I've heard, it's a reputation well-earned. And then it's a little bit of, Chicken's coming home to roost here. You you treat people a certain way for a long enough amount of time. And sometimes the people you step on on the way up are waiting for you on the way down too. And and maybe that's a little bit of what's happening here. And maybe it's not fair. I, I mean, it is, especially in this case, when, when you see that this is something that he apparently did in Detroit, did in Toronto, it's not something new. Um, there is a part of you that goes, man, these people are just looking for something to knife this guy with. But th- this is this is the result when people see you behave in a certain way and treat people a certain way for a long enough time 
that benefit of the doubt's gone. And, you know, as Elliot Friedman said, you know, he had the piece where he said, the standard is going to be perfection. Mike Babcock just can't slip up at all. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people would say, good. So we're, okay. Long time coming. So is this a weird story because it's Babcock? Or is it a weird story because, ah, coach, like, pick another coach without Luke Richardson in Chicago, uh, a Greg Cronin in Anaheim, uh, you know. You know, pick your coach, Derek Lalonde in Detroit. If you found out that in some meetings with players, they're like, hey, I'd like you to show your pictures of your your family. Are we like, ah, that's weird? Or is this just because it's weird because it's Babcock? It's, I mean, we wouldn't even know about it if it was those other situations, I don't think. I mean, clearly this is, there. there's people... Have an eye on Mike Babcock and, you know, Paul Bissonette, I think it's fair to say, not a fan. Uh, probably other people that he's close to, not big fans. And and there's this kind of whisper network that springs into action. Um, and and look, again, with Babcock, he did this in, in Toronto. He did it in Detroit. So two or three years ago, when we were having the big discussion about what a jerk Mike Babcock was. We didn't even hear these stories then. So it kind of does make you wonder, like, I mean, how how bad could it have been? As far as, you know, if it was some other coach, the, the detail to me is it really comes down to who's, whose hand was the phone in, right? I think there is a world of difference between your boss coming to you and saying, uh, hey, it, do you have some pictures on your phone that you can share with the group? Why don't you call up those pictures and then, you know, when you're ready, hit the button and we'll we'll project it up on the screen. And you can show us a picture of your family, show us a picture of something that's important to you, and, you know, we'll kind of bond over that uh, versus your boss saying, let me see your phone. Or, you know, open up your photos and I'm going to go through your photos with your phone in my hand, um, which would be very, very different. And that's... Yeah. That's what, what it sounded like when Bissonette first yes. described it, right? I mean, that is, I think, what we all sort of got this idea that he was going to, you know, calling guys into his office and saying, I want to see your phone and I'm going to start going through your phone. And, you know, it, you know, Bissonette put, put it, what was it, like, I, I want to see what kind of man you are or something like that to see what kind of. Um, yeah. And we all saw that. We went, holy smokes, you can't do that. That's insane. But. Babcock, at least in his, yeah, I don't even think it was a statement. I think this was, you know, he said this to to Portsline afterwards. He said, you know, the phone was always in their hand. They had, you know, this wasn't a violation of privacy or anything like that. This was, this was just, hey, find a photo that you feel comfortable sharing and and put it up on the screen. Which again, like you know, there's still some pressure there. You know, some people maybe don't feel comfortable with it, but if 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 that's the version. I don't, you know, I, I I struggle a little bit here to see where the big violation is. Whereas, obviously, as as soon as it's like, hey, let me see your phone, yep, that's that's a total that's a total non-starter. Yeah, it, it's weird, right? Because I think you go back 25, 30 years, and if a coach said, hey, do you have a picture of your family? Guy would put his pull his wallet out, yeah, produce maybe a little, uh, you know, tiny wallet size uh, portrait from sure. Well, I guess NHLers weren't going to Sears. For their portraits. Some of them might have been, would, but yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, you would produce that and it's fine. But but there is, there's like, you got to be mindful that there's a power dynamic here. 
right? Like there's a head, mm-hmm. the head coach, the boss is kind of asking you or, and, you know, and, and when somebody asks you something and then there's a power dynamic, you almost feel like they're telling you, they're not asking you, they're telling you. And, yep. and, and it's and, a new and it's, boss and it's yeah. a, a rebuilding team. So uh, there is some of that. Yeah, absolutely. But, but I don't think it's weird to ask about your family. I don't think that's weird because you're trying to get to know, look, I, I do a lot. I, 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 I'm a coach and I also, uh, teach journalism students. And I do a lot of one-on-one interviews. And one of the things I do with them is, and I had a couple of interviews uh, yesterday with my, with my journalism students is, hey, I want to know your motivation for, like, why'd you take this class? Tell me a little bit about your story. Like, where are you from? I would never in a million years say, either privately in a one-on-one meeting with a student or within the group of 20 students say, okay, show me a picture on your phone of your family. Because I think that that would be going one step too far, you know, and, and these are, I'm, I'm teaching adults too. They're, they're, they're in their twenties. Most of them early twenties, yeah. 20. I feel like that would be a gross violation for me. I would, okay. I feel like it would be weird to ask yeah. to see a photo. And, and I guess the counter no? to that, like the, the, the old timey sports counter to that would be okay, but you're not going into battle with these guys for eight months. No, you know, they, you're, you're, you don't yeah. have that dynamic of a sports team where it's like, Hey, look, for I sure. mean, we, we can do the X's and O's and everything, but we've got to get this relationship to a, another level where we, you know, and Babcock has said, like, I'm showing them photos of my family and that, you know, that sort of thing. And, and you know, if anything, I, you know, Babcock probably at some place in his brain is going like, wait, I thought I was, I thought this is what I was supposed to do. We're all touchy-feely now, right? We got to, like, it's not yeah. just about win the game. We got to care about the person. So I'm trying to care about the person. And you know, if anything, you're right. You said power dynamic, and and certainly there is. When you're talking about a coach and players, um, there is that power dynamic. But I, I will tell you, the power dynamic in Columbus is not the same as it is in other other places. Because if if Mike Babcock didn't know going into this how much scrutiny he was going to be under, he he knows now. And if he's sitting there thinking. Boy, I'm gonna go in there with my with my resume and my gold medals and all this stuff, and I'm gonna I'm gonna intimidate this group and I'm gonna make sure they know it's my way or the highway. Uh, guess what? It's yeah. They've they, they've got. I don't know if somebody there already has it out for him or if this was just kind of a, a case of you know sometimes the stories get passed along and and they get ramped up a little bit. But it's very clear here that if at any point that room decides we've had enough of Mike Babcock. Um, I don't think Mike Babcock has got enough power to to rule over that group with yep. an iron fist because they know that there's there's so many people out there with the knives unsheathed ready ready to get this guy that if if he steps out of line or even steps close enough to the line that somebody wants to uh, you know wants to 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 push him out, hey, you know what this is this is what you signed up and again. It, with a lot of people, I'd be saying this sympathetically. I'm not with Mike Babcock. He's he's earned this for better or for worse. You, you hear enough about the guy. Hey man, this is the, this is the bed you made. There's a lot of people who don't like you, um, and this is uh, th- this this was maybe ends up being the warning shot to kind of tell you what it's what it's going to be like in in Columbus or anywhere else that you try to come back. Has a coach ever been? Before he was behind the bench for his single game, been on a hot seat like this, like, like I almost feel like the temperature is going to be up pretty high. Like 
Correct. Okay, this is just my thought on this. I think DJ Smith is on the hottest seat of any coach in the NHL, given the fact that they've missed the playoffs so many years. They've kind of gone all mm-hmm. in. they got a new owner waiting in the wings. Uh, I feel like he's got to win right away. And I would argue I'm not sure that there's another coach on a hotter seat from that perspective. I think Don Granado's got a little bit of slack. I think, uh, you know, pick whoever else you think might be. Yep. Derek Lalonde's pretty new on the job. Like any of these teams that have been out of the playoffs four or five years, I think their coaches are okay. DJ Smith's on the hot seat, and he knows it. Is Mike Babcock on the second hottest seat in the NHL without having coached a game in Columbus? Like, like he might be, yeah. I don't I, know. Who else is even on a hot – like who else's seat is even tepid? Torts yeah. in Philly? I, I don't I don't Maybe? think Torts necessarily. I mean, Sheldon Keith G- should have been until yeah. he got the that incomprehensible extension that the, they put out there. Um, I'm trying to think of J- uh, Jake Woodcroft in Edmonton. If yeah, I mean that that one feels like more of a playoff thing, um, which you know R- buys you potentially some time. Um, Rick Bonus in Winnipeg. Like I don't bonus know in Winnipeg, on. yeah, um, maybe. But that's uh, that, Lane Lambert, maybe, maybe. Got new coaches everywhere else that you would it, really, yeah. Lane I, Lambert, Craig, but again, maybe, he's, maybe he's been Brube. on the job for a year, but it's Lou, so yeah, Barube um, maybe in St. Louis. Barube, I think would maybe. would be in but that list. My point is, I think you could put Babcock on the list of guys that's on a hot seat already. Yep. Yeah, and, and and the thing with him is it's not even, you know, you, you talk about DJ Smith. It, the Senators get out to a 7-1 and one start. It's all good with DJ Smith. He's all set. And with Babcock, who even knows, um, you know, what it's going to be. And and this is, I'm sure it's an eye-opener for him and for the Columbus organization. I, I know they, look, we, I mean, we know why we hired him. He's an accomplished guy. He comes in, you know, it's a young team. It's an organization that's never won anything. And here comes this guy. He's got the cup ring. He's got the gold yeah. medals. Um, you know, you you can if you put yourself in that two hundred hockey men mindset, you can convince yourself like this guy's a winner. He's gonna come yeah. in here and, <laughs> and, and 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 I'm sure there's no question when they're sitting around with their coach vacancy and somebody says, you know, what about Babcock? Obviously, somebody puts their hand up and says, "Man, we're gonna take some heat for this. We're gonna there's gonna be some bad PR." But you think? We can weather that. And maybe we can weather it better than other markets could because we're Columbus, right? We're a smaller market. Yep. Um, you know, everyone, our fans will be upset, but they're going to move on to college football and everything. And, you know, by, it'll blow over. And and as long as we win, we get out to a good start, we're okay. And and this is, I think, making it clear that that may not happen. And, and, and maybe not. Who knows? Maybe this is... Maybe this is a case where the critics have overshot the runway a little bit and they've gone too hard on something that's not really a story. And, and you know, in a way, it kind of undermines, you know, the future concerns or whatever. I, I don't know. You never know how it's going to turn out. But, um, boy, it's, it's, it's already off to a rough start. And, and again, that's, that's even assuming that the NHLPA guys don't find something or, you know, they, they pull aside Boone Jenner and he goes, no, you know what? Actually, it did make me uncomfortable, but what could I say? Well, when the PR guys are telling me I got to put out a statement to support the coach, uh, you know, I did what I had to do, but I, I didn't really like it. Gets, uh, you know, you got a new PA director is looking to make it clear whose side he's on with his players. It could still go in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Going to be so interesting what you, to watch. What you sign up for when you hire a guy like Mike Babcock, who 
has this reputation and really what has he done in the last two or three or four years to get himself ready for this opportunity and to change? Is there anything he could have done? Does it even matter? I don't know. Yeah. Well, again, we'll we'll have to wait and see how this all plays out. But like you said, it feels like there's zero margin uh, for for error on on Mike Babcock. I want to ask you about uh, the Winnipeg Jets named their captain, new captain mm-hmm. this year. And if you want to talk about a team that I think has been kind of low-key dysfunctional, maybe not even low-key, maybe just straight up dysfunctional. Certainly there's something, there's some degree of turmoil in Winnipeg. And, you know, they they watched the captaincy get stripped away already from, uh, you know, Blake Wheeler, right? And and he's no longer in, in the equation. Uh, Shifley and Hellebuck, we don't know what's going on there. And they could have gone, I think they could have gone with Kyle Connor as their new captain. They could have gone with Josh Morrissey as their new captain. And they didn't. They went with Adam Lowry, who is, you know, kind of your prototypical middle six, third line sort of, you know, kind of guy, classic I, I grinder type. I don't think he's ever scored more than 14 or 15 goals, uh, but he's the captain. And I'm wondering, like, is there a message there if, from from the leadership team about the style we want, the the sort of way we want to go? And how do you feel about that type of player being the captain. He's got three more years yeah. left on his deal. So it's not like he's he's going anywhere or anything like that. But, but you know, just generally speaking. It feels like that, that used to happen more often, doesn't it? Like, not, like the not Mike Keen type of guy. Yeah, like there used to, it used to be not uncommon that, you know, you'd have that third line grinder, the second pair, you know, Rob Ramage type defenseman would be your captain. Um, and it, it, it seems like over the years, it's sort of drifted more and more towards, no, like the captain's got to be, if not the star player, he's got to be a star. He's got to be, you know, somebody who's a, a key contributor. Um, and, you know, we've we've seen a few examples. I mean, Dustin Brown, you could point to in, in LA is yeah. maybe the most successful. Maybe some Kings fans would say, no, Dustin Brown's a better player than than that. But, you know, was, was certainly not star power wise at the top of the list on those Kings team. But, um you know, can can be that guy to hold it together. Obviously, we never know what's happening behind the scenes. Uh, you know, we never know what what the scenarios are. But as as far as the message, yeah, maybe it's a little bit of identity. Maybe it's a little bit of going to the the Kyle Connors and Josh Morrissey's and whoever else and saying like, not yet. Like you haven't. Nothing is going to be given. You it 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 has to be earned, and you're not you're not there yet. Um, you know, obviously the situation in Winnipeg with where we were expecting all of these changes, and then we didn't really see that and. Um, you, you know, it's, it's an interesting choice. It wouldn't have shocked me if they'd even left it, left it empty for another year. It, it almost feels like this is kind of a transitional captaincy, yeah. uh, which we have seen before with guys like this. Like who, who was it in, who had, who had it in Washington before Ovechkin? Was it like Matt uh, Hendricks uh, or somebody? Wasn't it Clark? Yes. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Um, Chris, uh, uh, no, why am I blanking? Chris Clark, not Chris Clark. Who was the Clark? It was Chris Clark. It was Chris Clark. It was See, Chris I was Clark. right. Well, I, I was second guessing myself. I'm like, wait a minute. Ever Why do doubt. I feel like his first name wasn't Chris and all these people are going to be all over me? I was like, no. no, it was Chris Clark. No, we all, it was Chris Clark. Don't, uh, yeah, never in The doubt. most famous Clark uh, to ever play hockey. All right. That's that's enough <laughs> okay, of that. That's enough. That's, that's enough you're good. of you. You're all set. Yeah. Um, but yeah, where it's that kind of like, hey, or we're going to do this. And then when you're ready, we we turn it over to the next guy. I don't know if there is a next guy in Winnipeg the way they're going, but uh, 
they've uh, it's it didn't shock me, but it was interesting because this isn't something we see as much these days. Real quick before we get to our pal Jesse Granger, without looking, so this week Quinn Hughes in Vancouver and Adam Lowry in um, Winnipeg are captains. Okay. Mm-hmm. How many teams right now don't have a captain or have it Ooh. technically vacant? There, there were there were a lot in the summer. There was like I thought like eight eight or ten. So I'm going to say are there still still a half dozen that yeah, don't have still, someone? There's still eight. Wow. Okay. So yeah, the following teams don't have a captain: St. Louis, right. Seattle, right. Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's three. Chicago, Calgary. Boston, Arizona, and Anaheim. Okay. That's eight. eight there you go. So an interesting mix of, you know, a basically few a, rebuilding teams in there yeah. that, that maybe just don't have everyone yet. A few teams that have recently parted ways with the captain. And uh, uh, and then that fun situation in Calgary where we're just kind of, you know, you talk about Winnipeg. Oh, yeah, they're going to blow it up. And then nothing really happened. And sort of similar in Calgary. Yeah. yeah. So far. Uh, so far. And if you're Boston, you go Believe Brad that. Marchand as your captain, or do you go, uh, you know, do you go a different direction? Like a do younger, you, like a Charlie McAvoy, I think would be. McAvoy would be the guy. The other. And, and McAvoy's locked up long term. Um, Marchand, who knows what the future holds. But Somebody had a great question in one of my mailbags where they said, if, if Marchand's the guy, is he the most hated captain? in NHL history in terms of every other fan base. They love him in Boston, obviously, but like it has, you know, guys that are captains of a team where like every other fan base is like, I can't stand that guy. And I, I think the only one I came up with that might be, maybe was better was Dale Hunter when he was captain in, in Washington. Washington. Speaking of watching yeah. captain, because he did, they gave him the captaincy after the Pierre Turgeon thing. So he was, uh, he, he was a villain around the league then, but uh, Marchand would be fun. I, I might just leave it, empty if I'm the Bruins. Now, obviously, if it's going to be Marchand, he's kind of, his career's running out of time too, so maybe you want to go quicker, but it's almost one of those, like, who who can replace Patrice Bergeron? Like, maybe we just, like, let it sit for a year out of out of respect. Now, that's that's one way to approach it. There you go. We, we've helped you out with Washington Capitals Captain Trivia today. Dale Hunter. There you are. Chris Clark. Chris Clark. And Everybody knows Chris Clark. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Time to bring in our pal, Jesse Granger, for the old segment we call Granger Things, uh, brought to you by BetMGM, which is the exclusive uh, betting partner with us at The Athletic. And uh, 
pulling the curtain back here for the listeners, because this is an audio podcast, uh, Sean and I were quite shocked to see uh, what we called the playoff beard of Jesse Granger in uh, in full form here in uh, in mid-September. He's got a full beard and he's taken it into the regular season. Yep, yep. Decided not to, to trim it down, um, I guess. When you cover the team that wins the playoffs, you have to you have to keep the beard going into the next season. I guess is the new the new thing I'm starting. Um, they they all yeah. shaved theirs off. I saw a couple of the players uh, with their beards caught, and it was like, oh my god, I almost didn't even recognize them. But uh, maybe maybe they'll be saying the opposite about me. But that's that, it was awkward for Peter Baugh, who still haven't he hasn't shaved yet. So you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. He looks like Tom Hanks from Castaway. But at this point, well, I thought you were going to say Tom Hanks from Big. I was like, wow, that's uh, that's really going after him. <laughs> uh, yeah, so listen, great to have you back in the saddle. And look, I think this is the time of year we get into mid-September where I know Dom has done this and, and we start to sort of look at over-under for teams and points and lines and stuff like this. And, and, and we love to have this debate. Who's making the playoffs? Who's not making the playoffs? And... A team that has been a basically a lock to make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference last handful of years, the Tampa Bay Lightning. I think this is a really curious, I think Sean and I are very curious to know. Tampa Bay Lightning, when we talk about Stanley Cup playoff odds, not winning the cup, just getting to the playoffs. What are we talking about here with uh, with Tampa? Yeah, I was I was looking through all the teams lines to make the playoffs and to not make the playoffs. You can obviously bet either way. And the one that stood out by far, I don't think there's anything on the board that's anywhere near as shocking, interesting, whatever you want to call it, of the Lightning. They're minus 190 to make the playoffs. Um, so about a two to one or a one to two bet, you'd have to bet 20 bucks to win 10 bucks for them to make the playoffs, which might sound reasonable until like you look at some of the other teams. Uh, let's just grab one. For example, the Toronto Maple Leafs. I would say the Toronto Maple Leafs to me are about the same odds to make the playoffs as the Lightning. The Maple Leafs are minus 700. Um, hmm. The the New York uh, Rangers, who I would guess are less likely to make the playoffs than the Lightning, are minus 600. Most of these favorites to make the playoffs, these, these big favorites that are expected to be contenders are minus 800, minus 700, minus 600. And then suddenly you have the Lightning at minus 190. They're about the same odds as the Seattle Kraken to make the playoffs this year, which seems insane to me considering the Kraken. Yes, they were good last year, but they were a one-year wonder that came out of nowhere. Nobody expected it. Um, I don't think anybody would be surprised if the Kraken kind of fell back to earth and, and didn't make the playoffs this year. I think they're kind of on that bubble. They, they, they could, they could miss. So, so for me to consider the Lightning in that category, the bubble teams, rather than one of the contenders that's a lock to make it. Maybe I, I know they've lost some pieces each year. The cap is just chiseling away at that team and they aren't the same team that won the back-to-back cups, but maybe I need to reevaluate where, where I think the lightning are in terms of contenders um, in ter- based on that line, unless, unless that line is just way off. What do you guys think? Boy, that's an interesting one, right? Cause, cause you're right. The, you you can't make money betting on favorites to make the playoffs typically and in they they just set those lines so high it's clear that right. like when you see like a minus 700 but like that's just the book saying stay away we're not yep. interested in we we don't want to take your money there's not um you know you would have to bet it, you know for if, if people don't follow like if it's minus 700 am i right that that means you have to bet 700 to win 100 
Yes. So in other words, you're getting for every seven bucks you put down, you're getting that plus your dollar back. It, you're not making, you know, it's it's a very right. Uh, and, and, you know, that makes sense, obviously, but because uh, otherwise it'd be easy to make money at this. And, and it's clearly not <laughs> um, the lightning boy. I, I don't know that I would put the lightning up right with those favorites, those that feel like a sure thing. I think there are enough warning lights blinking on the dashboard, including the fact that it's it's a division that should tighten up. Um, and I can see a path to the Lightning not making the playoffs. But Seattle, putting them like the right Penguins, next, another, who, another team, another other team, the pe- another team is the Penguins are minus 200. So according to the odds right now, the Penguins are more likely to make the playoffs than the Lightning. That seems crazy to me. That, yeah, that is, to me, that's getting out ahead of it because they, they, you're, the Penguins might be the team that would take that spot from the Lightning. In right, terms of the Flames are minus cards. 180. The Flames yeah, are minus 180. Is, I, they so, didn't make the playoffs last year. I, can, I thought I was down ones. on the Lightning. I, I honestly <laughs> thought I was a little bit, but obviously the, the books are way out ahead of me because that's, uh, I, I, can't get, I can't get there. Uh, they're you they're guys, begging so, you to bet, re- I swear. Remember, t- I don't know how much of it, like, Tampa sputtered down the stretch. I think they won four of their last 12. And if they didn't have enough padding there, look, they didn't have 100 points last year. Like Tampa Bay didn't have that sort of season that we expected them, 110, 112. Then they get bounced in the first round of the playoffs, right? And if they weren't the team that prior to that had gone to three straight cup finals, maybe we would be questioning them. But at some point, it's going to happen, right? The decline will start. And if they were at, what did they finish with, 98, 99 points last year? If they finished with five or six fewer points this year, suddenly they are a, a playoff bubble team, right? It's, Maybe it's, they are. And, and we've seen it with teams in the past, right, where these these veteran teams that win a lot and you kind of, you're conditioned as a sports fan to look at them and say, well, I mean, if if it goes bad, it, it'll be a slow descent. You know, they'll sort of bring and and sometimes it's not the sharks being the one that really stands out. Remember, yes, I mean, right? Yep. Uh, off a cliff. You know, you, off a cliff. When uh, you know, when the senators had their pick, and we all went, "Oh, great! You got you got the sharks' first round pick. Enjoy the 29th overall, <laughs> the 29th overall choice." And then just just off a cliff, a lot of us have been kind of waiting for that to happen to Pittsburgh and Washington. Hasn't quite, but. You know, no. with Washington, they've they've certainly reached that point. Maybe it is Tampa. I I I could get there. I just boy, I I guess the flip side of this is, you know, if I felt like I wanted to bet on them to miss the playoffs, I felt like you know I've I've got a little yeah. something here. I, I I'm looking for better odds than you know right. presumably what's going to be sitting there because I don't know. I feel I still feel like I'm finding an underdog. And and you're right, Ian. Like it, this this does feel like one of those things where a year from now. If it goes bad, we're going to look back and say we all saw the signs. Right. Victor Hedman had that off year. Vasilevsky couldn't do it forever, you know, and, and I, down yeah. the list. But in in right now, it's it's hard. I'm going to go to goaltending. And I think that, like, that San Jose team, they got <laughs> old and Martin Jones just went from we th- when they signed him to that deal, it was like, this guy's going to be the best goalie in the league. Like, he, like, what a goalie at, when he went on that long playoff run and then he, turned into a pumpkin. Vasilevsky was pretty bad down the stretch last year. Ian missed, mentioned how bad they were down the stretch, and then he wasn't very good in the playoffs either. That was probably the worst we've seen Vasilevsky look. He said he was worn down. 
It's a quite so they're obviously going to give him less starts this year, I think, because they've been they've been kind of ignoring the NHL trend of of using the backup a lot. They've just been having Elliott back there and they're like, we're just going to play Vasilevsky until his wheels fall off. I expect them to dial him back a little bit this year. And the question is like, OK, so are we going to I expect us to see the old Vasilevsky, the, the good Vasilevsky. If you're a doubter of the Lightning, you're saying, well, now you just have a Vasilevsky that's not as good and you're going to play him less. So that's bad. Like I get you could I could see both an argument both ways um, in terms of just where he goes, because I really think if Vasilevsky's elite, this team's obviously making the playoffs. If if he isn't, they could be in trouble. I tend to lean that he's going to be awesome, but we'll see. The, the Just to Ian's point, se- yeah. seven points. The Lightning made the playoffs by seven points, which is. In the NHL, that's you know that that's not close, and in fact, it was you know the, the the Lightning were penciled in for a playoff spot all of last year. But I mean, you felt safe, you know, from November yeah. on. You were, yeah, of course they're making the playoffs. So I think maybe that's a smaller gap to work with than some people would think, based on just how safe a pick they felt like all through last year. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I remember I had a great conversation with John Cooper last year in Ottawa in. March, I want to say, and I asked them this this exact question, and, and I'm going to ask you about about Buffalo and Detroit and Ottawa in a second in their playoff odds. John Cooper told me he said there's going to be a year in the Atlantic Division, and he said it might be as early as this coming season, where he says Toronto, Tampa, Boston, and to, I guess to some extent Florida, but all those teams that have been perennial hundred point teams are going to take a step back, and Ottawa, Detroit, Buffalo, they're going to take a step up. And he said, we might all meet in the middle around 95 points and it's going to get messy. And I thought, what a great, what a great season that would be for all of us as hockey fans if there were six teams at 95 points all uh, grappling. So then I ask you this to, to kind of close out our segment with you, uh, Jesse. Buffalo has playoff aspirations. I think Detroit, by the way they acted in the offseason, I think they have playoff aspirations. I think Ottawa thinks that they're going to be a playoff team this year. So... Is there any smart money to be had or, or put down on any of those three teams? Or what are the odds for those three teams to make the playoffs? Yeah, so according to the odds, um, Buffalo is the closest of the of those three, followed by Ottawa and then Detroit. So, so Buffalo is actually the only one that's minus money to make the playoffs. They're minus 120. And that is, obviously, they've got some exciting young players. I think everyone is kind of expecting them to make it and they're saying well we're not going to give everyone plus money on a team that everyone is going to bet to make the playoff like if they were plus that'd be the most popular bet on the planet so um they're minus 120 to make minus 110 to miss so basically a coin toss either way according according to the odds um ottawa pretty close to that they're plus 130 so that you are getting some plus money but it's still close plus 130 to make minus 160 to miss um and then detroit Little further odds. They're plus two thirty to make the playoffs, uh, minus three hundred to miss the playoffs. So um, you're not going to make much money betting the the wings to miss the playoffs um, for however many years in a row it's been. It's been quite a while after that stretch of not missing the playoffs forever. Um, I really like all three of those teams. I agree with you. It'd be fun for the league if if they're all good and and some of those teams drop back to the pack and we see a legitimate playoff race. Last year's playoff race was. Pretty awful. Um, we yeah. felt like we knew the teams <laughs> with a month to go. So um, I don't know which, which are you. Are you guys surprised by that order? Um, Buffalo, Ottawa, Detroit. Would you have thought it was going to go a different way? I, I'm not surprised by the order. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised that the gap 
between Buffalo, Ottawa down to Detroit. And, and frankly, if I'm a Wings fan, I'm I'm a little frustrated that um, either that I think the odds are wrong and my team's being disrespected or that this many years into the Steve Eisenman plan and they go out and they, they make the move. They had the busy offseason last year. They get to break it this year and that they're still seen as a distance, you know, so what, seventh in the Atlantic? That would that would hurt a bit. Um, I don't know that I would see value there on any of those teams. Um, you know, again, Buffalo 50-50 seems about I, – I, I guess that feels like on the, the optimistic side of a realistic range for me, which is to say, like, it's not I, – I, I don't hate it, but, I, you know, it's uh, – and Ottawa probably about the same. So – I don't, I, I certainly, none of that jumps out at me as a big bargain. Um, just so, how many, how many minus teams are there then do they have in the, in the East? Cause obviously, if, you know, again, people like they, they set the odds based on what they think is going to happen. And then there's like a nudge in the wrong direction. Uh, yeah. As far as your view as a better, because that's how these books make sure they make money. And then that's why a team can be like Buffalo can be a minus bet on both sides of the coin. You say, how could, you know, it doesn't, wouldn't one have to be a plus? Well, they're, they're taking a little bit of juice off of both of those odds. There are nine teams in the East with minus. So okay. one of them That's, is obviously not going to make it. Wow. Um, and then like the, 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 the two closest to, to even money are Pittsburgh and Buffalo. So those are probably, you, you mentioned earlier, like those are the two that like, if, if Buffalo is going to make this playoff run that everyone's expecting, we were kind of all expecting Pittsburgh to not make it. Now that they add Eric Carlson, suddenly they're a minus to make it. That Pittsburgh being a favorite to make the playoffs puts a little more pressure on those three teams. Buffalo, like like there, there's one less wild card spot out there if Pittsburgh is good, like everyone is expecting and, after all the changes they and made. do they so do they have the Islanders still as a as a minus team to hold their spot because they're kind of uh, a forgotten the, team that everyone's right. The Islanders are plus 100, so even money. They're, they're yeah, okay. straight even money, one-to-one bet to make the playoffs. They're minus 130 to miss, so they are a slight favorite to miss the playoffs. See, I like the Islanders. Well, I, so I, okay. Yes, I like the Islanders. Yeah. I like that defense. They've got enough goal scorers. I, I think that team's. I think they're making the playoffs would be my pick between the the kind of teams that are up in the air. Like, I, I, like how optimistic – like, Ian mentioned – or sorry, Sean mentioned – that's the optimistic view for Buffalo. Like it's basically, you're basically getting the same odds to bet them to make or miss. It's, it, it's hard for me if I had to make a bet on, if you gave me 20 bucks and said, you've got to bet on Buffalo to make or miss. I think I'd still probably, even though I like Buffalo and I hope they make the playoffs, I think I'd still probably at even odds both way, I'd probably still bet them to miss the playoffs. But that that's a function of them missing 12 years in a row. And right. we're just conditioned to be cynical right. about the and Buffalo Sabres, right? It, you know what else I think it is, is it's, it's the way these races kind of form over the year, right? We talked about Tampa, maybe not as much cushion as people think, but they were locked in for so long. Um, you know, people remember last year, Man, the Penguins, the Penguins had it. They had it and they blew it. That Chicago yep. game that ended up being so important. Um, <laughs> the, you know, an easy win and, and they blow it and that's what lets the Panthers in. Whereas the Sabres were kind of a disappointment, kind of down the stretch. Yeah, they had a few games where it was like, oh, if we win this game and then the next eight, we're going to be in the mix and everything. Right. You look at the standings at the end of the year, Pittsburgh and Buffalo ended up with the same number of points. 
They were both one point out. And yet it feels like Pittsburgh was right there. And it feels like the Sabres really weren't because, you know, they won a couple of games at the end of the year. And that, but I guarantee as we're talking about this and the Sabres being 50, 50 and all that, like their Sabres fans screaming at their, uh, you know, at their devices right now saying like they were one point out. They were already 50, yeah. 50 last year. And that was right. with, you know, and then you add in all the things that you expect to go, go better because you're an optimist. Cause it's September. Um, they're right in there, but goaltending all comes back to. They didn't have Devin Levi. They didn't have Devin Levi for the whole season. Now they do. They that's, didn't. That's why. That, if I'm a Sabres fan, that's what I'm screaming at my. That's device. that's what you're screaming, yeah. Devin and, Levi, and and we're screaming back. The track record of 21 <laughs> year old goalies in the modern NHL is is not great, but who knows. Who knows? Hey, Jesse, listen, great to uh, to reconnect with you, buddy. Uh, we'll we'll get you again next week. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we can probably dip into maybe a little bit more of a Western Conference theme or kind of look at uh, like that Central Division is fascinating to me. Uh, we can we can hit on that next week. But uh, thanks for this. And, and we'll get you again next Thursday. Yep. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right. Great stuff as always. Great to reconnect with our pal, uh, Jesse Granger. Why don't we open up the mailbag, Sean? Because we have a ton of, uh, of questions. I guess some of these may have been kicking around from the, uh, the summertime or whatnot. Uh, the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Um, the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 845-445-8459. Aaron in Brooklyn has a question directly for you, Sean. Oh Aaron in Brooklyn says, Sean, love your articles. Been reading them for several years now, but one thing I never quite got is who is Brown? Why is he going down? Why is this a header that you use in your articles? Down goes Brown. That comes from Aaron a, as we kick off a new season. Perfect time to kind of question, catch right? some people Let's, up. Yeah. I get asked this often and, you know, I kind of fall into the trap of assuming that everyone knows the story. It is... Uh, the, the Brown is, first of all, it is not Dustin Brown. That's a lot of people seem to assume that. It's also not Dave Brown, which is one that uh, comes up a lot. It is uh, Rob Brown. And it is based on a uh, unfortunate decision that Rob Brown made uh, back in the 92-93 season to fight Sylvain Lefebvre and the Maple Leafs. Saturday night, Maple Leaf Gardens, old Norris Division game. Uh, they squared off at center ice. And as the down goes Brown monitor, moniker might uh, suggest, didn't go super well for Rob Brown uh, and uh, Joe Bowen, the uh, beloved uh, radio voice of the Maple Leafs, called it Down Goes Brown, uh, a riff on the the Down Goes Frazier uh, uh, famous call. And it was just one of those things that stuck with Leaf fans of that era. We didn't we didn't have a ton going for us uh, back then. So uh, we would we would remember stuff like that. And so years later, when I started a blog um, and I was trying to Think of a name, think of something catchy, think, you know, and uh, that's the one that popped into my head. And I went with that and is, uh, some people, some people knew what it meant and connected with it and other people didn't, but um, it was easy enough to remember. So that's where the name came from. It was also my, it, 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 it remains also my Twitter handle. 
Um, and as far as why it's in the headline of the articles, I don't know. The the editors used to put it in there. I, I think I got them to to stop doing that, but um, every now and then it it shows up there. But it's yeah, it's just a reference to the blog and the Twitter handle and the kind of online um, thing, which. Uh, uh, it's it, it's always very funny to me because the fact that I have this like name associated makes people think that it's like some sort of multimedia yeah. company that I'm running. And I'll get like a thing like, "Hey, I don't know if you yeah. guys read your emails," and I'm like, "I don't I don't know who you guys are." Your but, team, uh, you know, gotta, run this by the team, and I'm like, "This is there's no there's no team. I don't even have an in, uh my my intern yet." So yeah, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta, gotta restart. A, the still gotta get on that. That's a long uh, process. For that. Hey, since, uh, again, we're kind of touching on this and maybe people have forgotten, but I, and I feel like I've asked you this, but let, let me ask you again. This was all based on Rob Brown, uh, yep. former NHLer. Have you ever connected with Rob Brown? Has Rob Brown ever reached out to you or vice versa about this? I've had one conversation with Rob Brown. I, I know he's been asked about it a few times. Um, and I used to, uh, I, I used to chat with, uh, he is a, a brother who's, uh, uh, in the sports media world. And, uh, I used to chat with him. Um, and, and I would forget until I remember like one time he was, you know, we were just going back and forth on, on Twitter, like in the DMs or just joking around about something. And he goes, you know, it, 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 I'm enjoying this conversation, but it is very weird that every time you message me, I see a picture of my brother getting punched in the face. And I was like, yeah, I guess that, that would be a little bit weird. <laughs> I talked to Rob Brown once. He has a uh, he was doing radio. He had a radio show. Yeah, in Edmonton, I want to say. And they called me up one time. They said, "Do you want to be? Do you want to do an appearance on this show?" And I said, "Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll go on any radio show that asks me." But I'm like, "Do you guys know like the like and and does Rob Brown know who I am? Is this like a thing where?" And they said, "Yeah, yeah. You know, Rob's Rob's aware and he's good with it." And I, you know, we chatted about it a little bit. But as far as I know. He's always had a sense of humor about it. He he had a very, very funny line where he talks about like that night in the fight and, uh, you know, going back and I think it was like Michelle Goulet or somebody in the dressing room and being like, you know, him saying to Goulet, like, I think, I think Lefebvre got me in the jaw and, and Goulet going, yeah, well, that's where all the blood's pouring out from. So, uh, yeah, you're probably <laughs> yeah. right. So he's always had a sense of humor about it as far as I know um, and has, uh, has never, uh, never complained and. If he ever does come looking at me, uh, looking for me, I will run and hide because I'm not Sylvain Lefebvre. Yeah, he's going to start a, a down goes McIndoo yeah. site after he down uh, down goes down goes Brown will be the uh, yeah, uh, yeah will be the the tagline <laughs> and yeah yeah it'll uh, just be me Eric, cowering yeah <laughs> Eric writes in the show I uh, love the podcast, guys. As an Ottawa fan, I was excited to see Jake Sanderson get an eight-year, $64 million extension. But it did leave me wondering, in the salary cap era, has a player gotten a bigger extension with fewer number of games played? Love to hear if anybody comes to mind. That is from Eric. So, I, look, I, I actually did look this up in okay. the course of me writing about Jake getting the extension. So, obviously, in the cap era... Now, in that 2012 deal, they put in the parameters that you can't sign an extension for more than, like, eight is the max, right? So mm -hmm. now yep. in the last 10 years, nobody. The only guy I could find that signed even a kind of reasonable extension with fewer games was Kirill Kaprizov. Yep. That and was Kaprizov the one that I was just looking 50, at. 55 games, I believe. Uh, but he got a five-year deal. Jake had only played only. Uh, played whatever the the seventy some odd games that he had played, and and part of that is a function of, you know, he signed 
in his, uh, you know, his, his um, junior year of college. And when he came to the NHL, he was hurt, so he didn't play. Then he played one season. And in, with one year left on his entry-level deal, he signed the extension, right? So it's yeah. uh, if he had played this year, we're not really having this conversation. I do think with four goals on his resume, I would think, based on what I – again, the research I was able to do, Kaprizov was the only guy that seemed to have a longer ex- – or a decent-sized extension with fewer games played. I don't think there's ever been a player in the history of the game that would get an eight-year deal with four goals on their resume, right? I, I mean, no, that I part, I mean, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, I I, I imagine it would have to be. It's uh, the, yeah, I, I, unless it was a goalie, and even even goalies, I'm not sure. Like, I just looked up Rick DiPietro, and he had played, I, he had three or four years under his belt yeah. by the time he signed that, that ridiculous deal. I, I mean, in theory, this shouldn't be that unusual situation because we do see a lot where a guy comes in, burns that first year, you play through second year, and then you can sign that extension before the third year is up. So to, to see a guy with only one season may be unusual, but you'd see a lot of guys in theory with yeah. two seasons where that first season is only a game or two where they, they get in at the very end of the college season. Um, I think Matt Boldy no, fits that, that, that mold, right? In, in Minnesota, Matt Boldy would be a guy that Yep. You know, fewer than 100 games, got a big extension. Yeah. So, I mean, you you see that, but but this few to only have done it for one year. Um, I, I, hey, it's it's a roll of the dice for the Senators, but I think it's a smart, it's a bet, but it's a smart bet. Um, I, I'm going to tell you this. the upside is very good. I, I'm going to tell you this, and if people who don't watch Ottawa might think that this is a crazy comment coming from me. I think in two years from now, Jake Sanders is the most important skater on the Ottawa Senators. I really believe that. Really? I, I think ahead I, of Kachuk, ahead of Stutzel, ahead of like just in the role that I think he's going to play, the minutes he's going to eat, the impact he's going to have in terms of getting 25 minutes a night. I think Tim Stutzel is their best player. I think he's their most dynamic player. But I think when you start to look at the totality of the game and the impact on the ice, I think Jake will end up playing more. I think mm-hmm. he's going to end up being the most important piece on this that's, team. I bet. That's an interesting I, I, prediction, I, I, and and yeah. obviously, if that comes true, this deal is is going to be an absolute steal for the Senators. People said that cap. about Tim Stutzel last year. People said, "Wow, yep. you're giving him eight times eight, and that guy's a ten million dollar a year player." He, he, he is. At, well, I mean, open market today. I, if if, yeah. if they don't sign him last year, and he's now sitting there, and he wants to hold their feet to the fire, uh, then yeah. You're you're probably right coming off a 90-point season. Uh, Alexi in Finland has a question. Uh, Alexi gets uh, the daily dose of Pakdoku. Got me wondering, um, when you look at all of the teams, uh, what are the players that you should know by heart to pass the quiz, i.e. the Thomas Vanek's, Lee Stepniak, Oli and UC Jokinen, Curtis McElhinney, those guys should get you far... Who's on your list of absolute staples that you should have committed to memory? That's from uh, Alexi in Finland. See, here's the thing. This will surprise some people. I I don't even, none of those guys that you just mentioned are obscure, but I'm not a guy who can like rattle off, you know, all every team that Thomas Van, I mean, Vanig maybe I could do, but I, you know, for, for some of these guys, like the, like Michelle Petit and his 10 teams, Matthew Schneider and his 10, like, I don't think I could, I, I could get some of them. I wouldn't be able to go all the way down. I'll tell you the guys that I use 
as as my kind of staples. It's um, and, and and the reason for this is it's it, we're we're talking all Hall of Famers, so you you know you, you're not going remotely obscure. But the guys are uh, Larry Murphy, Paul Coffey, um, Phil Housley on the back end, Doug Gilmore, Dave Anderchuk. That's my Lee fan uh, coming out, obviously. Mark yeah. Recchi and Adam Oates up front. Yeah. Between those seven guys, and then I could probably pick like two more, like on, boy, who would you, who would you have in, as the goalie? Maybe a Tom Barrasso, even a Grant Fear, if you, if you remember him. Get one more guy. And between those nine guys, I think at one point I had looked at it. And if you took those guys, other than the, the more recent expansion teams, I think they cover the entire league. Every team has had these some combination of these guys at least once, if not a couple of times. Except, I think the Islanders are the weird outlier. And then if you add Pierre Turgeon in, then you get then you get the Islanders in there too. So I I stay with those like the the mega stars, but the guys who played for five, six, seven teams. Chris Pronger could be another guy you you could put up there, although don't fall into the Coyotes trap because he didn't play a game with them. Um, but those are the guys that I look at. I don't even go. And then, and then my other thing is just as a Leaf fan, I know everyone who played for the Leafs. I know who, how they got them, and who they traded them to. So that you know, a lot of times can can help me figure it out. But uh, let's rip through a couple more here, real quick. Adam in Chicago, to your knowledge, has there ever been an instance where a player was re-signed to the exact same contract he just finished? I.e., if a player finished a three-year deal at a three million AAV, he and the team looked at each other and said, "Yep." That was perfect for everybody. Let's do it again. And he signs another three times three. I'm sure maybe this has happened on one-year deals, but to make it more challenging for you guys, has this ever happened in consecutive uh, occasions on multi-year deals? That's from Adam in Chicago. And he's looking for the same term, right? Because like you famously, Sidney Crosby, right? Always 8.7, but different lengths of the deals. I mean, it it must have happened. There must have been some, although it is it's probably rarer than you think because it's yeah. You always want to raise, right? And you sit down for the new contract, especially in the cap era, salaries caps going up. You want the raise, or your teams comes in and says we gotta like we gotta drop this down to do. Um, and I, and I wonder what the let's throw that out as a challenge. I want to know what's the highest value overall that you can get that matches this. Okay, multi-year deal, and because again, I there's probably some guys. Oh yeah, two years, one million, and then re-upped or whatever. But you know, who's the guy that did like the four t- times four times 5. four, 5, and then four times four again? Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 there's got to be some. There have to be a few out there. Um, it, you but I, think? I, I can't think of any. Yeah, I can't either. Well, this is why the Down Goes Brown internship program. This is your first test. Uh, this is down goes Brown this is, this is okay. uh, the, the your your first your first immunity challenge. Get out there and uh, and and grab this information for us. Okay, I'm going to read one more, and this is going to be a real uh, kind of. This is meant to tug at your heartstrings. Okay, listeners. Oh boy. Okay. Uh, this remember earlier in the summer. Again, it's been a few weeks since we did a show, but we just had a fun discussion about hey, what's the you know, the first ever sporting event you can remember attending, first hockey, whether it was hockey, baseball, whatever. Like, what's the first time you remember sitting down at a sporting event, watching a game, maybe with your parents, maybe with a family member, a friend, whatever. This is this is a pretty interesting one from our list, uh, listener named Will. I wanted to share this one, uh, end on, on kind of a high note here. 
on, on the uh, on the mailbag. Will writes in, greatly enjoyed your chat about first games, especially because I just put together some information on the very first baseball game I ever attended. It was 30 years ago at Tiger Stadium, Tigers Royals. Storm Davis was pitching for the Tigers at the time. That's how old the story is. Anyway, interesting parts as well. It was my first, uh, my wife's first game too. We were both only seven years old and we didn't meet each other for another 12 years. Her seat was in the upper deck, left field, foul territory. Mine was a few rows behind first base. So it's very unlikely that we even crossed paths. However, we both happened to keep our ticket stubs. And though I can't find mine at the moment, I do have the scorecard I filled out to confirm I was in fact in the same game. At some point while we were dating, we discovered that we both attended that same game as our first game. We remembered George Brett had a good one. Thanks for letting me share. Your show is always a lot of fun to listen to. That comes in uh, from Will. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? it? Like, yeah, turns out the I, first I, I ever game you went to, your future spouse was at the yeah. same game and it was and, their first game. And, you know, because because I'm a romantic at heart, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm pushing back on this whole like we we didn't run into each other. We were a different side. You don't know that. You absolutely could have been in line for a hot dog or maybe like, you know, going in the gate in those old times, they kind of squished everyone through the same, uh, you know, the same style. area. Yeah. At Sitting on the subway on the way, it, it could absolutely happen. I, I love that story. Have you ever seen the one where it's like uh, it was some married couple and they're looking, she's looking through childhood photos and she has like a photo of her at Disneyland yeah. when she's like four. And, and in the background, like, right? Yeah. It's yeah. like the guy's like, that's my dad in the background pushing a stroller yeah. and I'm in. And that's, it's and the craziest yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, but this is this is right up there. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a very cool story. And uh, yeah, you know, I know. It was, I, like you said, you're maybe a romantic couple of seven year olds. Yeah, that's yeah. me. That's I as soon as I, yeah. I said, I can see you <laughs> laughing on camera. And I say that you're like, no, you're not. Yeah. They don't know yeah. that though. They can. This is, they can. I'm trying to. I'm trying to polish up the image. Um, yeah, the guy yeah, who I'm said good, earlier in the dude. show that uh, his his phone is filled with pictures of uh, immaculate grid perfect scores. Yeah, that's he's, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's well, romantic at heart. There's there's um, a, there's a couple. Of, I think you should leave memes on there too. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's wrap up real quick. This week in hockey history, it's the middle of September, so we don't have too much to uh, necessarily sink our teeth into. Lots of international hockey. Uh, on this uh, this week, 1991, September the 16th, so I think this would be Saturday, is the exact anniversary of this. Uh, 1991, Team Canada beats Team USA 4-2 to clinch the last ever Canada Cup title. As you recall, after that it was called uh, you know, World Cup of Hockey and it's had different iterations, but this was the last Canada Cup. Old Cops Coliseum, mm -hmm. and it's the final between Canada and the USA. Remember, Wayne Gretzky gets knocked out of this tournament uh, because of uh, a hit from yep. Gary Souter. Canada wins this second game, but the game is tied at two in the third period until a shorthanded okay. goal is scored by who? Oh, boy. Uh, Steve Larmer. Yes. I, is it really? I feel like there was a window of time where Steve Larmer Don't was like how I knew that. sneaky good, underrated good. Steve, Steve Larmer well, scored a massive goal. Some people say Steve Larmer's a Hall of Famer, but yeah, yeah, that's okay. You know, and the funny thing is, I don't remember that. And I do remember the tournament. Like I, the Gretzky injury was big. That was the Eric Lindros coming out party. Remember? Because yes. he had been drafted. He's only 18, was refusing to play, but uh, he he crunched all Samuelson, I think. It took him out of the tournament, and everybody was like, man, this guy's going to be unstoppable. 
Um, but that's interesting. If that game was tied, you know, in the third, you because you you certainly don't think of like the Steve Larmer goal as anywhere uh, uh, no. up there on their because uh, I, I remember I wrote a piece a couple years ago where I said, what's the fourth biggest goal in Canadian hockey history? Uh, obviously, you've obviously uh, Henderson, Crosby, Mario against the Soviets in 87 are the big three. And what would be number four be? I didn't even put Steve Larmer on the list. Give you a sense of how little I remember a final that I did. I watched. I would have watched and been invested in. Yeah. So that's that's a bit of a weird one. More and Steve Larmer, underrated as always. Empty netter in that game scored by a guy who had, an, in my opinion, unbelievable tournament. This, again, this is, I, I, I remember watching this, however, mm-hmm. would have been like 14 years old or whatever. Dirk Graham. Mm-hmm. Dirk Graham mm-hmm. went off in that tournament. He was so good for Canada. Yep. Yeah. Empty no, Dirk, Dirk Graham was a real good player. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last one I'm going to do for this week in hockey history. We're only going to go back three years. This is going to seem really weird. September 14th, 2020, it's Game 5, and the Dallas Stars beat the Vegas Golden Knights in overtime to punch their ticket to the Stanley Cup Final where they would take on the Tampa Bay Lightning. I ask you this, Sean, because it only happened three years ago. Dallas scores. Game winner in Game 5. They're going to the Cup. Who scores the game-winning goal for the Stars? It was uh, Steve Larmer. Yes. No, I don't. Uh, that, I don't. And, and first of all, can I just say, I... I still, my brain can't process stuff like that. Like in this yes. day in September to go to this, I'm, I'm like, what? Did-? But only three years ago. Three years so, ago. Do you have do, any do recollection of who scored the goal, what it looked like, anything? No. Because it, it, it's wild because you think of in the last few years, we've had some of these like our Terry Lekkinen has scored a yep. couple of goals mm-hmm. to put his team into the cup. Uh, Bieksa had one, right, for Vancouver. Like, like you, you, you tend In to remember, overtime. Alec Martinez, you tend to remember these goals that put your team into the final, and yet Dallas did it three years ago, and I bet a lot of listeners, unless you're Dallas Stars, uh, Dallas Stars fans, um, you probably don't remember this. I'm going to give you the name, and you're going to be like, man, yeah. I still don't remember it. Okay. Dennis Gurionov. Yeah, that's... <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, I don't. Uh, man, I that what a weird time. What an incredibly bizarre time. Like, I feel like it's gotten weirder. Like, remember when you sat down to watch the like the bubble playoffs, and you're like, "This is oh man, there's no crowd and everything. This feels strange." But you know, maybe years down the line, we'll get no. Like, it feels like it's getting stranger and stranger every time. I, I don't know. Good for them that they got it done, but uh, oof, that's. Uh, I that's feel like people a, don't remember Dennis. No, anyway, look it up. Very, it, it ha- very little recollection. Happened. Almost any of it. Yep. Three years ago this week, Dennis Gurianov put the Dallas Stars into the Stanley Cup final um, with an overtime goal to knock out, uh, knock out Vegas in a series that clearly, I don't think any of us remember any of those. Like, I'm usually really good at remembering all of those things, like I said, mm-hmm. semifinals, whatever. 2020, it's like, I don't it's amazing. I, I think I think the crowd reaction plays a much more key role in our memories than than maybe we give it credit for because the absence of that I just feel like you know for yes. me it was like the Leafs go out to Columbus and you just fast forward ahead to like the weird fireworks when Tampa's getting the cup and, and yeah. that's it. Yeah. All right. We'll leave it there. This was a, a lot of fun. I want to thank everybody for uh, tuning back into the Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. We love hearing from you. So. You got emails, uh, anything you want to weigh in, whether it was something we talked about today, 
um, early in the summer, whatever. We love to hear from you, The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com or a voicemail at 845-445-8459. And we got a great deal going on right now. If you're not subscribed to The Athletic, I would say get in on this before the season starts. Great time to join us. A dollar a month for 12 months when you visit athletic.com slash hockey show. You know, Becky also did mention the depth and the bench difference, right? She talked about Marine Johannes. Um, she called her, I think she said she does her work dirty, um, was Becky's quote. And she called her an assassin. And, and I think Becky even made like a bang, bang, bang sound that um, she's in and out before you've ever seen her, right? Marine kind of scored eight points. She electrifies the crowd. She does her work and that is it. And that is a punch that really the aces don't have, right? You look at their bench. Um, Sabrina mentioned Alicia Clark. She's been great. Um, she's been one of the best reserves in the entire league, but at this point in her career, she's not also creating offense, especially in the way that Marine can coming off the bench. Um, so I think you look at depth and this was something that New York, their coaching staff, their front office talked about heading into the year. They believed entering the year that their depth would make a big difference by season's end. Of course, they didn't predict and wish upon the Candace Parker injury. And so that has obviously kind of changed the rotations as Sabrina was mentioning for Las Vegas. But that is another thing um, that I think is super, super important here that New York also has a little bit more punch. And, you know, Sabrina, someone, you know, not unlike Chelsea Gray or Kelsey Plum can get going. But we certainly saw Monday night against Las Vegas. You know, Sabrina scored 17 points in the first half. The moment that sticks with me, I think of all the other shots in that game was when Sabrina nailed a three. I think it was her third three right before the half. I think she had 17 points at halftime. Becky Hammond was kind of standing in the corner by her team's bench, and she immediately just put her hands on her hip. Um, She called it borderline negligence, basically. It was borderline (laughs) negligent to give Sabrina an opening at the end of the half after the game. Becky puts her hand on on her hip. The buzzer sounds... uh, goes to halftime. She is the first person to walk to the locker room. She basically left her hands on her hip until it was time to walk to the locker room and she <laughs> led the team into the locker room, right? That is a moment that just sticks with me that I think really exemplified just her frustration in the first half, especially, but also just the firepower that New York has that Sabrina can also get loose. And we've seen it time again this year. So um, there's just a lot of firepower on both teams, but I think that depth and firepower that New York has maybe gives them a slight edge um, at this point in the season, at least. I keep thinking about the August 6th matchup, the 99-61 matchup. And that, to me, wasn't the game that the New York Liberty clicked, but it was the game that was like, oh, that's what a super team looks like. If anyone was questioning it, that's the definition of a super team. They felt they looked so confident and secure in the way that they came out. And it also didn't seem like the aces, it almost seems as if the aces weren't true, the the true aces we knew them to be as like the, the matchup competitors, right? It almost felt as if they were playing another team within the league that didn't have the same level of star power and firepower as you all are mentioning. It didn't seem like it was truly a matchup. And if you were a non-WNBA fan and someone's hyped this game up, telling you that, oh my God, these are the best two teams in the league and they're going to go at each other and it's going to be crazy. And then one loses by 30, more than 30. It just felt like it it, it was deflating almost. I'm going to take it from your perspective, Sabrina. They did have to come back you know, and play again against the, the Liberty and they did play better, but that game still happened. What do you remember about the takeaway from that game for the team and how they felt and 
being able to match up with this team in a playoff situation, for example. We've been talking about these two teams all year as potential rivals, and they have refused to buy into it. Um, And that was the first moment where I got the sense that, oh, they're starting to feel what we feel from the outside. Like maybe it's just the projection of everything that's causing them to experience a little distaste towards one another. Maybe it's the fact that they had to play four times in the course of a month and they were just already anticipating the fact that they were going to see each other over and over and over again. But after that game, which I initially wrote off just because Asia Wilson got like her bell rung in the first quarter and just did not look like herself for most of the game. Uh, when when I was talking to Kelsey Plum two days later, she said, you know, it's funny. There's one game and they act like they won a championship. And it's like, oh, ah, some heat. <laughs> there we go. Spicy. So has emerged okay. from. Because these players are so careful about giving away any anything, right? Like they don't want to express that they're thinking about this team more than others or that they look forward to these games more than others. Like you mentioned that these have been popcorn games. Kelsey likes to say that there's popcorn in every game, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you're looking for it, there's Good popcorn point. in every game. There's true. So that was the first time that I sort of sensed that, okay, like whether it's because we've tried to manufacture it or because there is actually a sense that these two teams are going to be facing each other a lot in the upcoming weeks or months, if we get a potential finals matchup, like that's when I started to feel the actual animosity building. And I think we saw some of that in this most recent game in New York too, where, you know, Sidney Colson and Benajo Laney got into it a little bit. And there's just a little bit of chippiness that wasn't present earlier in the season. And so, I mean, this is not like an entirely basketball thing, but I think, you know, good rivalries rely on a little bit of just distaste, right? Like teams should not mm-hmm. like each other. And there's so much good camaraderie in the WNBA. Like they're all so supportive of one another. Uh, they'll work together, you know, like on the union to try to lift each other up that we don't get a lot of this just, I don't like you type of situation. Right. And we're getting some of that and I'm, I'm yeah. really enjoying it. 